I'm also honored to have a part in the history of Brashbury Baptist Church. This church has been a lighthouse in this community for 150 years. By the way, there's a man here today, Doug Hunt, whose father, Pastor Hunt, had been here when he was just a youngster. Would you stand up wherever you are? I tried to spot you. Thank you, Doug. Uh, he came over. He was, he was at our 150th celebration uh, picnic and, and uh, service, and we shared together at that time. And then he said, I just wanted to come back today. Came over from Beaverton. Speaking of Beaverton, we have people here from our former church. I'm not sure how many that are here, plus our daughter and her husband and uh, a number of other people people that are here. Uh, One specially I would like you to uh, acknowledge today is Garnet Verness and her daughter Teresa. Uh, As we've mentioned, we're having the reunion for the uh, Brush Prairie Christian School this afternoon. And when I first came to this church, in fact, even when I candidated, um, the Vernesses were the first to ask me my opinion on Christian schools and encouraged me from that time forward along. I remember Floyd and Francis Olchi and Harold Noble, and they wanted an assurance that if I came to the church that we would try to see if we could establish a Christian church. And that did happen, and God is blessed, and many of the people that are here today. By the way, those that are here today, former students, faculty, um, Any connection, parents of uh, kids that attended here, would you please stand up at this time? And this, this was 35 years ago, so this is commendable. I uh, thank you for coming. And uh, I did also receive special greeting from Kim Tuttle, Uh, from her mom that used to attend here. And uh, so it's been good. It's refreshing for me, but it's been difficult as well. I do want to also thank all of you for your prayers over this almost two years now regarding um, my health the last couple of years. I do want to say that uh, just about a month ago, uh, when the surgeon examined me, he could find no sign of the cancer, so we praise God for that, and this, this, this last week, uh, I had my eyes examined because they were curious as to whether the chemo had affected them, and with my glasses, I have 20-20 vision. Now, that doesn't mean I can see you, because when I pastored here, we didn't have these bright lights. And I can't see very much of anything. (laughs) But I do thank you all for coming, and uh, we welcome all that that have come and are visitors here today. You who are part of this body at this present time, please welcome those. If uh, you've been watching, there are some from our days past that no longer attend, and we'd love to have this to be a regular opportunity for them to come and worship with us in the following days. Let's look to God in prayer. Our loving Father, we thank you today for your faithfulness. 
We thank you, God, that you have blessed this church so abundantly. And, Lord, we can't even count the numbers who will be in, in heaven because of the witness that has gone forth from here. We praise you for that, and we thank you for our present ministry and still the outreach to share Jesus Christ with others. So, Father, bless as we look into your word today. Touch our hearts, we pray. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can tell I might be a little bit nervous, but um, I wrestled with the topic, not the topic today. I knew what I wanted to share, but with the uh, title for this, and as you've noticed, it's a eulogy of St. Richard. It had a primary purpose in that, that if something didn't work out good that my family could also refer back to this and not have to write something at the time of my memorial. (laughs) So I would like them to get a copy of of this today. (laughs) But seriously, when I spoke of eulogy, that eulogy is for Almighty God. I have never felt adequate in this pulpit or in my ministry. But God has been faithful, and he has blessed throughout the many years, not only in my service here, but of the other ministers that have stood before you. And so when you think of the eulogy, which is a time of praise for someone or an event, whatever it might be, I can honestly say it's to God be the glory because... If I had my druthers, I wouldn't be here. If I had my druthers today, I would rather be in a different place, but uh, that's okay. But then I mentioned that it was a eulogy of St. Richard. And you know, I'm a saint. It took me a long time to discover that, and some of you still haven't. <laughs> but I used to be known as a saint maker because they would call my wife, my precious dear wife, who has stood with me for over 60 years, that they call her St. Mary. And I had the title of a saint maker because anybody that could live with me that long had to be a saint. But also the scripture speaks clearly of being saints throughout scripture and especially the apostle Paul calls the people saints, and as he writes to the saints at Philippi, to the saints at Thessalonica, to the saints at Ephesus, and all of this, and you know, I know as you look at me, it's hard to believe, but I am a saint. Now, you may have been raised in other traditions, and you may have thought that a saint is a little idle to sitting Uh, in the church, or that it might be the stained glass windows that show pictures of apostles and so on. But God says that I am a saint. But more important than that, God says that each of you who knows Jesus Christ as your Savior is a saint. Not in the future, not after you die, not proclaimed by someone who decides you were good enough to have been a saint, but right now. And so I want you all right now to say, 
I am a saint. Ready? I am a saint. Don't you forget it. And most of all, don't forget that I am a saint. So I expect you to treat me in a proper way. But seriously, as saints should be acting. And I'm mindful uh, of the story of the little boy coming into the church and saw the stained glass windows and it had apostles in it. And they said, Daddy, uh, who are these people? Well, honey, they're saints. And there's St. Peter and there's St. Luke. And there is uh, St. Thomas. And he went on down the line. And uh, he says, well, what do they do? And his, the daddy said, well, they're all gone now, but they loved God and they served him for many years, but they're gone now. And the little girl smiled and said, daddy, they're not gone. Look at them. I know what they're doing. They're letting God's son shine into our lives. And you know, that's what saints are to do, is to let God's love shine in to people's lives. And that's your service as a saint to be doing that. During my ministry, I particularly had difficulty many times of knowing God's will. And basically, that's what I'll be talking about a portion of the time today. And do pray that my eyes are able to focus on that clock or we may not get out of here at all. (laughs) But... As a young man, we were always talking to each other. How do you really know God's will for your life? And there are those that say, well, God told me. And that would be well and good. God didn't speak to me on a regular basis in that way. But if God told me what to do, it would simplify many things. So God has led me through the years in a different way, and I believe that many of you are being led in a similar way, and we may not acknowledge it, and many people may not be serving in the way God would intend because they haven't felt such a call. They weren't called to ministry as a a full-time Christian worker, but they acknowledge Uh, God and they don't see what their importance is but God does guide us and I want us to look through the different ways in which he guides and then give some illustrations of how that has happened in my life first of all and foremost is God gives us direction through his word and the very first direction that he gives is the direction that we might know Jesus Christ in a personal way. And this past week, I've been looking in the book of Romans, and I thought how powerful, as you see the introduction in Romans, but then he begins to tell about the sinfulness of man in chapters 1 and chapter 2. And he gets down into chapter 3 and says, what shall we conclude then? Are we any better? And he says, there is, not, there is no one righteous, not even one. And then in Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that's true of all of us. There's no exception. God did not choose us because we were good. 
God did not choose us because of things that we had done or a moral life or whatever it might be. God chose us out of his mercy and his grace and the sacrifice of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you go through those first chapters and you're wondering today whether you've ever done this, uh, just if you get through the first eight chapters of this or ten better yet, you will see over and over again how important this is and how the scripture speaks of it. So after God had spoken and said that uh, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, he says, for the wages of sin is death. But he didn't stop there. He said, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And as you read on through, in chapter 8, verse 1, the scripture says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. When we stand before God, we will be accepted as perfect, not with all of our imperfections, not for sins that we've committed through the years, but we will stand there as children of God because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And this will be the message. So first of all, you need to to know God. And then in uh, a verse that has been a favorite of mine and a, a life verse in Philippians 1.6, when the Apostle Paul says, being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. So we have that assurance from his word that he will guide us. He will give us direction throughout our entire life. And then, of course, if we're going to have directions, it's going to be through faith. Now, Hebrews 11.1 says, being sure of what we hope for, and certain of what we do not see. Now, that's not always easy to do unless the promise is perfect. And just as an example, we can hope for, or and it's not just guessing, well, I hope that happens, but it's a trust that this will happen, and that's the promise of heaven. God has prepared a place for us and told us that we shall be there. So as we walk in faith, we're walking in the promise that that's going to happen. It may happen in our lifetime. It may happen after our death. But we are going to be with the Lord. And this is a promise that we can stand by faith. And then he also says regarding this in verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. We need to have that faith. So this is part of the direction that we're trusting him when we don't see where the future might take us. And certainly through godly counsel. Uh, Find people that you admire, that you trust, that uh, are students of the word and for those who can truly give you guidance and look to them for wisdom and out of personal experience, (laughs) then take their advice. I remember once with a very serious matter that I talked to uh, 
Dr. John Mitchell at Multnomah School of the Bible, and I was pastoring at the time, and explained what was going on, and asked for his advice, and it was regarding whether or not I felt my ministry had come to completion. This happened to be from the church in Beaverton. And he says, you know, Dick, I've seen your ministry. Your ble- God is blessing. He's working. That's not the thing that you should do. Well, I continued to pray about it. I continued to read scripture and all. And I resigned that church. But I've always wondered of all my various ministries, what if I'd listened to Dr. John G. Mitchell? So there is guidance that comes through godly counsel. And certainly that guidance comes from having a sincere love of God. The second commandment says that we shall love the Lord thy God with all our heart, all our mind, with all our soul. And that is the need that we have uh, if we're going to serve him. Now, I'm not talking about becoming pastors or missionaries or whatever. I'm talking about the individual lay person. And you know, I've mentioned it to many people as I've watched the men of this church and the women too, but mainly the men, as I've watched their leadership, the things that they have done, I've told others how I admire that. This is healthy, it's strong. We have great leadership. And just as Pastor mentioned, the fact of one of the men praying with this woman, that's ministry, and that's what's needed. And I have said from the very beginning of my ministry that God doesn't need more preachers, but he does need more lay people who will give their hearts and simply let the sun shine in because they are saints and they're able to share a hope that is found in no other way. And then uh, a couple of other verses that um, I have used uh, in the directions of my life, and, and uh, it's in Proverbs um, chapter 3. And uh, the scripture says, There, trust in the Lord, and lean not into your own understanding, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. And then in Proverbs 16, 9 says, In his heart, man plans his course. I learned it from the King James that said, Man devises his way, but then God directs his steps. And this is what I have found is so true throughout my life, of the directions that has come in that way. I hope my water holds out to the end of my message. So here's the eulogy as far as as a life, but I want you to notice throughout, it wasn't Dick Temple doing a work. It was God's grace. And clearly, many times, it was not um, my idea at all. And my life really started... In 62 years ago, when I was working with a preacher that was starting a little church and went to a radio broadcast, and he'd want me to come to church, and I wouldn't go. 
But he says, if you'll go to this radio broadcast early, 6 o'clock Saturday morning, he says, I'll dedicate a song to you over the air. And so I went, and I thought, maybe he'll get off my back. And I went that, that uh, Saturday, and uh, later in the day when we were working, he came up to me, and he said, well, Dick, what would you think of that? Oh, he said, I said, it was okay. He said, you really had a cute piano player. She's Mary Temple. And it was later when I did start attending church that I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And that was the beginning. It was also the year that I uh, asked Mary to marry me. And we were young, so she didn't know any better, so she did. (laughs) We got active in this little country church and just loved the pastor and his wife, which I look back now, I thought they were so much older. They had much more wisdom than we had as I was 19 and Mary was younger. I won't tell her age, but, but you know, we respected them so much and we would spend much time in their home. And I look back and thought we must have made life miserable for them. But, and I got their little boy in trouble many times. In fact, to the point one time, even... When he was going to get a spanking, I said, Mrs. Thompson, that was my fault. Can I take his spanking? And when I saw the look in her eye, I knew I was in trouble, but she took a belt and really spanked me. (laughs) But during that time, at one point, and I will never forget it, she shook her finger in my face and said, Dick Temple, God's going to make you a preacher just because you're so ornery. So now you know what happens when we get our preachers. Never forgotten that prophecy that she gave. But then, a couple of months after I had become a Christian, I joined the Air Force. I was under the threat of the draft and didn't know how long it would be, and I wanted to get my service over so that Mary and I could get married. And so I joined it, but you know, this is something I had never told my family at all. As a new Christian, I had seen others that had gone in the service, and some of them Christians, and their life went right down the tube. And I was really worried. What? I've always been in a cloistered area. I've not been out in the real world on my own, away from family and friends. Am I going to be able to stand firm for God? And I was worried about that. I didn't share it even with Mary or my family. But you know that first night in basic training when they'd explained to us that in the morning when the call was given, we would get up, have that bed made in three minutes, and you'll be able to bounce a quarter off of it. Well, the panic set in right now. I thought, oh, this is going to be horrible. But you know, a peace came over me. I don't know, you may call it a filling of the Spirit, whatever it might have been, but God ministered to me that night, and not in audible words, but the message he gave me was, Dick, it's going to be okay. And you know, I never had any trouble during my military time in the service. Um, It was because of God's peace that he'd given in his direction. And I knew he was his child, and he would be the one to guide me. 
Well, we kept setting up the day for our wedding, and finally, after I had uh, been in school for about six months and still had a lot of time to go in school in the military, Mary and I were married. And they had told us in our schools, and I was in my second electronic school, and they said, now, if you're at the top of your class, you'll get first choice of what base you want to go to. And so I worked very hard, but I did end up at the top of my class. And I knew I got the choice of the bases that I could go to, and I could hardly wait. But all of the people, when the classes were graduating every two weeks, were all going to the East Coast, and I didn't want to go to the East Coast. And so when it came time for our, our uh, class to graduate, Mary was expecting our first child, and they had what they called a compassionate, that you could stay until the child was born and old enough to travel. And I thought, I devised in my mind, in my heart, you know, nobody's going to the West Coast. I'm going to put in for a compassionate, and maybe a little later they'll start going to the West Coast. So I put in for this to wait until our child was old enough to travel. And our class graduated. Two of the people out of that class went to Fairchild's Air Force Base in Spokane. I remember Mary was in the hospital uh, after our baby had just been born. I was crying together because we'd wanted that with all of our heart, but God had different intentions on it. So again, it brings me to that point of man devises his ways or has in his heart what he wants to do, but God orders his steps. And that was one of the main times that God started directing me in that way. We didn't get to go, and then the next thing was, uh, Dick, why don't you stay and be an instructor? We want you to be an instructor. Well, to this day, it's not my favorite thing to get up and speak, and it was certainly not at that time, and I kept refusing. And finally, one day, I went back to school just to check on things, and And they said, Dick, there's an opening in maintenance. Would you ever come in and work with the machinery there? I don't have to teach? No, no, you don't have to teach. So I took that position, and it was so wonderful. I didn't have to work with airmen. I just, uh, and it wasn't that bad. I just did not want to get up in a classroom and work. I loved working on an individual basis. But finally, My other cohorts who had been teaching got their promotions one month. Mine didn't come. Another month, mine didn't come. Finally, when I checked on they said, well, you know, there's no opening in maintenance to advance you. The only way you can get it is to go to instructor training school, another three or four months. And I said, well, can I go to that and come back to maintenance? Oh, yeah, no problem. You that have been in the service know how well they always tell you the truth. And so I did. Well, at that time, they said, Dick, we can't let you go back to maintenance. You've got to teach. And I clawed and screamed and put it off as long as I could until they put me in front of a classroom. I didn't want to teach, but, you know, God knew that if my pastor's wife back in the beginning's prophecy was to come full, that I was to be a preacher, 
I'd better have some training or no way would it ever happen. But um, so once again, we did not get what we wanted or I wanted, but God directed in this. It didn't happen. But we did work during those next three years working with servicemen. And by the way, we would, I would take a bus out to the base and I could fill it, just go and holler at guys who'd like to go out and, and go to church with us and go home to a family and all uh, today. And, of course, on Sunday they had nothing to do and we could load the bus. But there was a young second lieutenant at that time who worked with me. And his name was Sid Henry. And we would, after we had gone to church, uh, families of the church would take the airmen out for dinner, for lunch. Then we'd meet back, and then we'd take them to the Christian Servicemen Center for the afternoon. And Sid Henry was one of the founders of the Christian Servicemen Center, which is now Cadence International. And from our own midst, Gene Papineau and Dave Stroder are both active in that ministry that we had had connection with way back in. And we had a wonderful ministry. And I loved working with the servicemen in that capacity. Again, I'm convinced lay people are the ones uh, that can do that work effectively. But then I kept waiting for my discharge in the last year of my ministry, or my teaching. I had a backward counting, counting the days until I got out because clearly it was going to be a good thing for me. We were getting, we had enough basic training that the space program was picking up all of the people they could get out of our training, from our training. And I was looking forward to it as I counted the days and so excited about it. Some of my friends that had started teaching earlier and were now out of the service began to go into it. And I was counting on that until in church one Sunday night, a trio of girls were singing in Denver, Colorado, and they were singing, is you're all on the altar. And that was the one thing in my whole life I would not say, Lord, I'm willing to be a pastor or a missionary or whatever it might be. I would not say that. Till that night I had to say, okay, Lord, there's this one area. And God called us to ministry at that time. And then the training had to come. We went to Multnomah. Um, following that and the last year of my training at Multnomah and we've been doing Christian service uh, ministries in various churches and we loved the little local church we were attending we had good friends there the pastor had already asked me to work with the young people for the third year and so I went into Ed Goodrick who was the interim pastor here when I came to the church and he was in charge of this, and he said, I told him what I wanted to do for Christian service, and he said, Dick, I want you to study under a pastor. And I says, he named a lot of different churches, and they were all out of my denomination. I said, I won't go. I just, I want to stick with uh, my denomination. And I said, tell you what, when he kept pressuring me, there's a church in North Portland and I know the pastor, I can't even remember his name, but he's doing a great work there, and I would serve under someone like him. He looked down on his desk, and he picked up a piece of paper. He says, is his name Ed Goodrick? 
And I see his name's Ed Good. He says, is his name Val Halk? And I said, yeah, that's the guy. Read the letter. He was asking for an intern at the church. Get on the phone, call him, call him. Yeah, I said, I haven't prayed about it. How do you, why do you have to pray about it when God's already given you the answer? Well, I did call him. Makes sense to me. But I did call, and uh, the line was busy, thankfully. And I went home and talked to Mary about it and prayed, and we went there. But again, when we first got there, Mary would leave in tears because we had such a good fellowship of young marrieds. Um, at the church we had been. But, you know, we started working with a young married couple that grew, and a number came to know the Lord. And that's been 55 years ago. And we still meet together. We're down to about 15 people now, but we still meet two or three times a year for that fellowship together, those that have gone on with God. Many have gone to be with the Lord. But, you know, all of this, God was directing and, and all throughout this. But I was going, and I'm going to skip one point. I knew I didn't have a good timing at all, and I will quit before noon, I promise. But I was going to share in God's faithfulness, not only in ministry, and he certainly did in every church. I will mention one church because this is the 150th anniversary. And... At the church during the years, I was here from 74 until 81. As we mentioned, a Christian school was established. It was started in 1977. We needed a building, uh, the Fellowship Hall, that you know it now, the rec center, uh, was built during that time. Prior to building it, we didn't have the land for it, and Prairie High School had already Uh, put in an offer on property that they wanted for a high school. But they were gracious enough to work with us and the owner where we could get five acres of land to have the room to put that building and also have room for a ball field. Well, we still share the ball field with Prairie High School. And when our Christian school started, our kids could go over for foreign languages. They could go over for driver training. And we had a wonderful relationship right from the beginning. And then in 1980, when Gene Papineau was here, he started Oasis, where they were inviting the students going. And that's been such a good outreach for all the years from Clear Black Wind. So God is blessed in a real way. But I just uh, want to also praise God for his faithfulness in provision. Um, After I'd left Rush Prairie, I went through a difficult time, and they couldn't figure out what was wrong. I was uh, doing a funeral service one day and almost passed out, and I said, you guys either figure out what's going on or put me in the hospital. I'd already asked them about mono. And they said, no, a 50-year-old guy doesn't get mono. But anyway, I did, and it was a terrible time. (laughs) We were just starting a new little work, and... uh, After I got over the physical part of it, I could not make a decision and stick with it and determined I would take a year off ministry just because I wasn't wasn't prepared to to take on any other ministries. And and I uh, talked to the chaplain at Southwest Hospital, and 
he said, Dick, why don't you go to CPE, which I'd never heard of, which is clinical pastoral education. And I researched it some and, and ended up going there for training, not so much for the training, but I went just to work within my own self to help out and to work out those things that were very difficult um, to work in such a ministry. But anyway, I was nearing the end of the year. We'd been living on the the um, money from selling our house, and we didn't uh, have a lot, but we were still going on. And, and at that time, um, Best Kaiser Medical Center had volunteer chaplains. Their um, hospitalization was paid, but no other pay. And they were asked to leave. And my supervisor from CPE called and said, would you let us put a clinically trained chaplain in your program to just let you see what can be done? And the hospital agreed, and uh, the supervisor sent me over during my last uh, few months of that. And I worked with the chaplaincy program and set up and worked. Actually, it was they were starting to get it lined up already to have volunteer chaplains as well. And so we worked, and, and it was a good time. And whenever I would go around and talk to um, administrators, medical directors, and so on, I said, you know, I want to convince you that it would be cost-effective um, to put us on staff. And I remember one said, well, Dick, you know, hospital chaplains are kind of a frill, and we're not a frills hospital, so I don't think it's going to happen to you, but I appreciate you considering it. And another one said, well, uh, Dick, um, none of the other hospitals have it. We can't get it. And, and then the third one was risk management. And they said, Dick, the last chaplains cost us $40,000. There was a lawsuit. It settled, but unfortunately, uh, they were asked to leave. And so I continued to work, continued to smile and love the time. When I first went to Brush Prairie, I had to pray about my attitude with Kaiser because it wasn't good. I was concerned. I didn't want to be there, and I had no intention on being a hospital chaplain. But it came time. Our year was up, and we were out of money, and I was looking other places for a job. And I met with the administrator and a group of people, a staff meeting, and asked what was going to happen to the chaplaincy program. And out of the blue, he said, we're going to hire a chaplain. Ended up, I was a choice to be there. And, you know, I was there 13 years, and it was some of the greatest ministry times that I've had in my entire ministry. And God blessed, but not only that, when it got near the time of my retirement, but I still had a little over a year to go before I could get medical, could get anything. And they said, Best Kaiser's Hospital is closing. And my immediate boss says, there's not going to be a full-time pastor. We only had 35 patients would have. And I said, I understand that, and I, I can see why you wouldn't. And, but a few weeks later, the administrator, new administrator, was there, and she sent me an email and said, Dick, I tried to see you Friday and didn't get you, but I funded your position for another year, which was just enough to make it so I could get my retirement. It wasn't the greatest, but it was full coverage 
of medical care, which has been really mighty. And so God provided that way and much more, which I won't go into, but just in closing, I wanted to mention this last year. This was a rough time, a year and a half, and first when they discovered it, they felt surgery would take care of it. But uh, one of the doctors said, we want a PET scan first to make sure there's not cancer anywhere else. When they took the PET scan, they said, well, the good news is there wasn't cancer anywhere else. But the bad news is, Dick, you've got an abdominal aortic aneurysm, and it's ready to burst, and we can't do anything till we take care of that. So we had to go through that surgery first and get over it, and uh, uh, they put in a few extra parts, and it's worked good so far since then. But then going through it all, um, God continued to direct and guide. And I'm going to stop here. I missed a point, and, and it's just going to be that, and then I promise I'm closing. But uh, when I mentioned the things that had gone on at, uh, at the school, uh, one of the elders had asked me, in fact, several times, Dick, the people have heard about the Streaker Sunday, but they never, a lot of them don't know what went on then. And, and he kept wanting me to remind, I won't tell you which elder it is because he'd probably get fired. But, but uh, it was my first wedding. I had been here. I came in January and the end of March or first part of April. Uh, I had a wedding uh, that was held at the church from families to the church. And as the reception, or as the people went out to the parking lot, a streaker went right through the parking lot. And it was a Saturday night, and we all agreed that uh, streakers were getting too much attention. We weren't going to say a word. Don't talk to any reporters. I got home that night, and immediately the phone rang, and it was an editor from the Columbian, and asked me, I said, we'd rather not comment on that. Well, did it happen? Just tell us if it happened or not. And I said, I'm not going to say anything. And uh, I said, but please don't print anything. They're getting too much publicity now. Well, next morning I got the paper out and the headlines were, here comes the bride, there goes the streak. <laughs> and I got to church and people were ready to, uh, to um, sign off on the Colombian, just say I'm not going to take it anymore. And, and I said, you know, why don't we see what we can do with it? And so I met with the deacons after the morning service, and I said, if you guys don't approve it, I won't do it, but if you'll back me, we'll try it. And I said, I'd like to preach a sermon, God's answer to every speaker, and preach it. And anyway, they met for over an hour and finally said, okay, pastor, uh, go for it. So we started planning on it, and I waited till Tuesday, and I called this editor and told him, I said, I'm the guy you talked to, and I asked you not to print that, and you did. And I said, I expect equal space in your paper. And uh, he said, well, let me talk to your religious editor. And I said, no, I don't want to talk to your religious editor. He probably doesn't go to church or read the, the streaker doesn't read the religious page at all. I said, you put that on the front page? I want front page. And on Wednesday, it came out, Streakers, to get the word, had a picture of me on and, and told that I was going to ask any true streaker to stand up. <laughs> After prayer meeting that night, I got a call from uh, KWJJ in Seattle. The Associated Press had picked it up. And after we talked a while, he says, that's the best answer I've heard for anyone to a 
to the streaker problem. He says, an old-time Baptist, I just want to say, the Lord bless you, brother. <laughs> then the next day, uh, the, port, uh, the Seattle uh, PI called, and they said, could you send a copy of your message? And I said, I, I use outlines. I don't have a copy of it. Well, could we send a reporter down? Yeah, you can, and they did. And the Colombian had a reporting here, and we were praying and concerned, very much concerned. Many churches were praying. And uh, on the Sunday that it was to happen, we locked all the doors except the back one, and we had guards in the restrooms. <laughs> and my greatest fear is when I said, when any true streaker, please stand up, that someone would, would be just a pervert with a trench coat on and pop it open. <laughs> And it would have ruined everything for us. So at every aisle, the ushers had blankets ready to go. And at that, <laughs> at that time, the church uh, was new. It was just a year old. And uh, it, the seating was 711. It was classified for that. But we didn't have the rooms over here. Uh, and the platform was lower. I'm up higher than I've ever been in my life. But, and it was much smaller, and the sound system was back behind this two-way mirror, and Harold Noble was the one that took care of all of our sound. Anyway, we were ready, and I was scared spitless, which was nothing new for me anyway. But uh, during the Sunday school hour, the phone rang, and it was Channel 6 News. Channel 6 News, it must have been a slow day, because they said, well, we've got a crew out that way. Could we come and and video your service. And I said, well, it is a church service if you can stay out of the way. And if they'll stay, I don't want them taking down their equipment in the middle of the service. They'll have to stay. And I thought, yeah, they need to hear it too, the message, because God's answer to every streaker is the same it is to each one of us. You know, Christ is the answer, and only as we trust him uh, can hearts and lives be changed. But so uh, that night... Uh, Channel 6 News had a feature that said, if you, and it was Palm Sunday. So if you went to Palm Sunday Church today, you probably heard a different message. But we'll show you one that was a little unusual. And it showed the, the choir panned on and a little bit of my speaking. And I remember Linda Cole's parents being in the choir. I can't remember who else was in it as they panned this. And, and no streaker stood up by the way, at, at that time. But we continued to get more publicity. After that, the Colombian, whenever there was a controversial subject, I was one of the pastors that they would call along with different ones to give my opinion. But God blessed and used that. But all of it wasn't the way we planned it at all. And, and that did get us on the map regarding that. But, you know, I want to get back to where I was. I'm sorry for that. But during those days of darkness, at night many times was so bad, and there were at least two times that I would have given up completely. In fact, I told Mary, honey, why don't you just call hospice, and they can keep me comfortable. But you know, there was a song that would come to, uh, to my mind the night. I didn't know all the words, but I knew that the words of it were, then came the morning. And you know, once the morning would come from that night, I had a peace. And I had, and I thank God for Mary, who was so faithful, standing and serving with me at that time. It was precious. But anyway, 
uh, that song just ministered to my heart. Now it's speaking of the resurrection of Christ, the darkness that was there before the third day when Christ came forth from the, from the tomb. But it ministered to my heart, and I know that many of you are going through dark places even now and much darker than many things that I've experienced in my life. But you know, the morning will come, but it will come through Jesus Christ. And, and the true time of the morning coming is when uh, Christ comes to receive us. But he will also help you in that dark time. We cannot promise that God will deliver you from it, but he will go with you through that. As we close, you're going to hear that song and then another special song. And I'm sorry that I did go over time. I'm, you lose your timing after a while, but let's just pray. Father, thank you for your grace, your goodness, your love. Lord, bless now as we close this service and the activities of this afternoon and noon and evening, Lord, when... Uh, all of these things take place that you will be glorified and we just thank you for your love and commit this to you in Jesus' name, amen.